you, Todd, so much. I appreciate it very much. Hey, it's great to be with you here in Port Clinton. Uh, as he said, my name is Pastor Jeff, and it's been just an honor and such a joy to be able to be working with the chapel at all three different campuses and to be across the, oh, going across the lake today. What a beautiful morning, huh? Wow, it is absolutely gorgeous. But uh, over the last several weeks, we, have, of course, have been looking at the Gospel of John and really studying the, the Gospel of John. And so hopefully you guys have been able to get onto that Dwell app and begin to take a look at uh, exactly what these verses mean. Because many times we have read the book of John perhaps for years, or maybe for some of you, maybe it's the first time, and that's okay too. But it's good to be able to really, truly just see what God wants to teach you afresh when it comes to the Gospel of John, all right? And today, we're going to be looking especially at the interaction with a man lying next to a pool, okay? A man that's lying next to a pool. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, it's kind of getting into pool season, right? It's kind of getting into that season that a lot of us love. And for some of you guys, maybe being next to a pool, you just kind of like to sit back and you're chillaxing. You got your feet up, getting a little bit of a suntan or maybe a sunburn, something like that that's happening. Uh, for others, maybe you just are kind of one of those, you got to test the water. So you just kind of put your, your tiptoe in, you know, you just kind of, ooh, is this going to be warm enough? Is this too cold? What's this going to be like? And then maybe some of you are like me where <laughs> there's only one way to get into a pool, right? And you got to go, cannonball, boom, big old splash, and my son splashes in, and next thing we got a splash war going left and right, and we're splashing strangers, and we're apologizing, and you know, it's one of those things. That's okay. Either way that you enter into a pool is totally fine. Now, what's interesting is we go in to a pool, or we go even by a pool for refreshment, maybe for some relaxation, maybe for rejuvenation, something like that, right? We don't think about going next to a pool for some type of healing. Many times that doesn't really cross our minds, does it? But when we look at this passage of Scripture, you're going to see not only one man, but you're going to see hundreds and hundreds of people that are lying next to a pool in hopes that somehow, some way, that they're going to be able to be healed. They're going to be healed by this magical water of some sort. So pull out your Bibles, please. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. We're going to look at some of the different verses here that I want us to kind of dive into a little bit. All right? So here we go. First one, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else away gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus 
had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sitting or something even worse may happen to you. And we'll kind of examine that one. That's a, that's a tough one there. But as we study this passage, I've adapted some information, some different ideas from author John Piper, where first we see that there's a feast. A lot of us love feasts. I know that. There's a feast of the Jews, which refers to one of the three Jewish feasts. There's the Passover, the Pentecost, or the Tabernacle Feast, where Jewish males in particular were supposed to travel back to Jerusalem. And then by the Sheep Gate, there's this pool called Bethesda, which has five of the porches or the colonnades. We even have today a hospital named the Bethesda Hospital. Isn't that interesting? Now, the Sheep Gate is in reference to the gate mentioned actually in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. And it's a small opening kind of in the north wall of the city. And today it's known as St. Stephen's Gate in Jerusalem. Isn't that cool? So it's still around even today. When you stop and look at so many things in the Bible as we study them, guys, they're around. I love biblical archaeology. When I was at Ashland Seminary, I had a professor, Dr. Walther, I'll never forget. He had all these things that were actually from places all around Jerusalem and Israel. So we're talking about something right here that's still around. And then the pool of Bethesda literally means a house of outpouring, a house of mercy, of mercy. Archaeologists literally have discovered two pools today that cover a large area of 150 feet by 300 feet. That's how big it is. Now, picture this. Picture this. We got a scene of possibly hundreds of people that are blind, lame, paralyzed. They're literally lying as close to the water as they possibly, possibly can. They're waiting in the hot sun for the water to some kind of stirring to take place for some type of bubbling so they can experience healing. In ancient times, this was as close as possible kind of to a hospital without walls in many ways. And the stirring of the water is thought to be these intermittent springs that may have fed the pool, may have kind of caused this type of disturbance. Some ancient witnesses also said the waters of the pool were red, red with minerals and thought to have had some type of maybe medicinal value. And then at the precise moment, this bubbling in the water takes place, and it was believed that the first diseased person that could get into the water would then somehow miraculously be healed. The waters were considered to be kind of a healing shrine in many ways. What's also interesting, maybe some of you guys caught it when I was reading the scripture. Did you notice something in particular? No verse 4. No verse 4. That's because verse 4 is missing from the earliest of manuscripts. So it is actually not included in most of the modern day translations, such as the NLT, which we use, or the ESV, NIV, NASB. We don't include verse 4 into that. Now, some of the older translations do put it in, but we don't. Now, what's great is when Jesus shows up, and I always love it when Jesus shows up. Oh, boy. He shows up on the scene. Here's the deal. He does not take kind of this showman's approach. He's not like, okay, I'm here. Everybody look at me. I'm going to make things happen. I'm going to zap people, and they're going to be healed. And no. No. The great thing about Jesus is he's always walking 
with humility. He's always walking with, with love, isn't he? He doesn't stand on a rock and broadcast to everybody, say, I'm going to heal this person and this person and this person. No. Instead, he goes directly to one man. One man. He could have healed hundreds, but he went to one man in particular. And he was probably one of the oldest men, and he had been in really bad shape. 38 years. 38 years with the same type of physical ailment. But you see, Jesus had special knowledge of this man. He knew everything about this man, everything about this man's situation. He knew it. Likewise, Jesus knows every single thing about you and your situation. We talked a little bit about that last week, didn't we? Same thing this week. He has complete knowledge of you. He knows your inside and out, everything that you've ever felt, everything that you've ever thought, everything that you've ever done. He sees it all. And he still loves you. And he has grace for you. He has mercy for you. Isn't that beautiful? Nothing is a surprise to God. You can try to run from him, but you can't hide from his knowledge of you. He knows every part of you. He loves you wholly, completely. Not only that, but he has compassion for you. We know that Jesus is a man of compassion. We see it all throughout scriptures, right? But the compassion is for you. When Jesus sees people, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on them, right? He has compassion for you as well. It actually comes from the Greek word. I love this word. One of my favorite Greek words. You can say it 10 times with me if you like. And basically, it's called splegenosomai. Splegenosomai. Such a great word. I don't even know if I'm saying it exactly right, but that's the way I've said it for years. But it's a strong stirring within you that causes you to act on a person's behalf. Okay? It almost comes from your gut, right? And some of us, the older we get, the bigger our guts get. Okay? So it's that stirring from within your gut, and you just got to do something. You got to act because you know you feel so much for this person that's hurting. You can't stand back any longer. you got to act, right? And Jesus did that time and time, again, all throughout Scripture. So then the man at the pool, he's helpless. Jesus saw his helplessness. He was moved with compassion for the man. Jesus knew that the man would definitely be there. So Jesus chooses to go to the pool to meet him specifically. He didn't have to. He didn't sneak up on him. He didn't stumble by it. He knew that what he was doing was going to this one person. Just like last week, right? Just like last week when he went to the woman at the well in Samaria. Who would ever go to Samaria? He does. Here, who would ever go to this pool at Bethesda? Who would do this? He does. He loves to go where others would never go. For one person. He's not always concerned about the masses. He's concerned about the one person. Here's the other deal here. Is Jesus always moves towards need, not comfort. And towards the broken, not the self-righteous. Whenever you're feeling broken, maybe some of you guys have felt that way at different times in your life. That's okay. There's different times in my life where I've felt very broken before the Lord. 
not sharing how I'm going to go on, not sharing, sure what God's plan is. But you know what? Jesus moves towards you when you're in that time of your life, when you are broken, when you are hurting, when you're in pain, whether it's emotional or physical, spiritual pain, he moves towards you. He has that compassion for you. He wants to help you through that. Also notice when Jesus asked the sick man in verse 6, he says, would you like to get well? (laughs) Instead of saying yes, the man offers up different reasons why he can't be healed. Interesting. We do that too, don't we, sometimes? We always look at why we can't change, why we can't be healed. Well, I've always been this way. I always be this way. I can't help it. It's the way I've been since I was a kid. Really? Well, maybe, maybe God wants to change you. Maybe God doesn't want you to stay just the same way that you've always been. We can't offer up the excuses. Maybe he wants to make you well in a spiritual way. He asks questions to the man, and he wants the man just to say yes, okay? He wants him to say yes. Jesus simply acts by saying what? Take up, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. Then the man does it. Wow. The miracle of miracles happens. The man who had been disabled for 38 years, he gets up and he walks. Whoa. Many times over, Jesus healed someone because of their faith, right? We see that all throughout Scripture. But here, it wasn't so much Jesus healing because of the man's faith. The man really didn't have much faith, per se. But it was because of Jesus' compassion that he healed. Maybe you're here today. Your faith has wavered. Maybe your faith has just been torn apart by some of just the junk that's gone on in your life, and you feel like it's just ripped you to shreds. Maybe it once was strong, but it's not anymore. It's okay. Jesus wants to restore you. He wants to heal you. He's here for you. He can intervene in your life. He can heal what's been broken, you guys. He can heal what's been broken. It may be something physical, but it may be emotional or mental or spiritual. Whatever it is, Jesus can heal. He can restore. He can increase your faith then as a result. After all, notice, after the man was healed, can you imagine his reaction, right? His faith probably skyrocketed. What did he do? He had to tell all the Jews exactly what had happened, right? Wow. He can hold it in. He had been healed. When we've been healed, Not just physically, but when they've been healed, maybe emotionally or mentally or spiritually, in some way, we can't hold it in. we got to tell others. We've got to tell others. Also, not only though does Jesus have that compassion in you, but power for you, right? Power, okay? Power in you. Compassion for power. And is this same power that rose Jesus from the dead that can work in you, can heal you in all ways, Give you the power to live for him through his Holy Spirit. Not through the flesh. No way. But through his spirit working within you. Jesus' power changes the paralyzed man. And he simply spoke the words, right? Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. The man did. Jesus spoke it. The power 
of Jesus' words, right? Think about it. Think about the different things that he spoke. He spoke creation, right? Spoke the whole world into creation. He spoke Lazarus out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth. Or maybe it was Lazarus, come forth. I don't know, but I always picture Lazarus like in the movies. Lazarus, come forth. And boom, he did. He spoke the truth of his father wherever he went. And he spoke that he was going to he was going to die, right? He spoke it. He was going to die. The disciples didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to believe it. He said it was going to happen, though. But then he was going to rise again. They didn't want to believe that. But it happened. Woo! And we celebrate that, not just Easter people. We celebrate that year round that Jesus is alive. He spoke it. It happened. The amazing thing is God is still showing power today by speaking to us. And that, it might not be audibly necessary, but every time we open up his word, isn't it great? He speaks to us. He can speak to our hearts. There are certain passages of the Bible that I've read a hundred times or whatever. But you, write it, you read it in different seasons of your life, and it is amazing how God can minister to you at that time. Isn't that cool? That's God's spirit speaking to your heart. As you open up his words. A lot of times he can speak to you through prayer. Not just talking to God. Prayer is listening to God. You know, too many times I'm always talking. I need to just listen. Sometimes we all need to be better listeners to God, right? Be still to know that I am God. Psalm 4610. Let him speak to your hearts. And then also sometimes he may speak to us through other people, right? That's kind of exciting. But we have to make sure that what the people are saying matches up with God's word. If they're saying something that's completely contrary to God's word, that's not from God, okay? Too many times people get that confused, and so they may hear this kind of advice from somebody, and they think, okay, I should just follow that because so-and-so said it. No. It might be one of those things where you have to make sure that it matches up with God's word. So important. We have to listen. Learning to listen to Jesus is, is a huge thing. Learning to recognize that he is the one that wants to be in charge of our lives. Not just some days, but every day. There was a, a situation in my life where, you know, sometimes I've done a, a good job listening. Sometimes I've done a, a very poor job listening. Uh, I was in a Christmas play 11 and a half years ago when I was youth pastor at Church of the Savior in Worcester, and uh, it was an awesome play. We had so much fun. And I got to play this certain part. It was a blast. And every time in rehearsal, I would jump off the stage and I would click my heels in the air and, and just give a little boom. You know, it was kind of a fun part of the play. So it's opening night. There's about 500 people there. And we're doing the part. And I'm just like totally excited. Not that I ever get excited. But I was a little bit excited that particular time. And so I finished up my part, and I do a running jump, and the stage is even bigger than this, kind of like the Sandusky stage, and I go full speed, and I go into the air higher than ever. It's awesome. Higher than ever. Boom! Do the old click the heels like Dick Van Dyke way back in the day. Click the heels, come down. I come down on one leg, and <laughs> snap, crackle, pop, no Rice Krispies, Okay. And I am in serious agony. And I'm like, 
and I'm limping, and I'm limping to the back of the church, and my wife is there, and she goes, why did you do that? Why in the world? She's probably said that to me 172 times, but she then rushes me to the emergency room, and I get to the emergency room, and they're like, oh, this is not good. It's swelling like gigundus, and it's one of those things where I get the, I'm on crutches and everything. I get the MRI and they say it's a torn ACL, sprained MCL, sprained LCL, and torn meniscus. Oh boy. So it's one month before the swelling could even go down to have the surgery and then three months of more crutches. And uh, I thought to myself, boy, the director had said to me, Jeff, you're not as young as you used to be. You probably shouldn't do this. And I didn't listen because I always think I'm 25 no matter how old I get. So I didn't listen and I should have listened because my director of the play was totally right. And I was wrong. And I had to be paying the consequences. I was in agony and misery. Isn't that sometimes like us though? You know, God is the director of our lives. Are we listening to what he has to say? Or do we say, no, 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 I'm good. I don't need that. I've got this. I can handle it. No, you can't. I can't. You can't. None of us can, right? John 16, 33. Oh, my lands. This has been my, kind of my verse over these last three years in particular, that I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials, sorrows, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is the only one, guys. That can give us peace, right? He's the only one. So we have to listen to him because he's the only one that's overcome the world. We can't overcome the world in ourselves. We've got to listen, receive his power to bring us out of misery and into life. Notice, too, at the end of verse 9 that John says something kind of abrupt, too. It says that that day was the Sabbath. <laughs> oh, boy, here we go. That was the Sabbath. Think about it. The man, he's all happy. The people around, everybody's happy. Here come the Pharisees. And they're saying, uh-uh, you did this on the wrong day, buddy. And it's one of those things where I remember when I was reading it, when you first read it especially, you think, oh, great. Now here we're going to have umpteen hundred verses all about how it's illegal on the Sabbath. But check it out. What Jesus does, he disappears. Doesn't he? he disappears right off the bat. And the shift then is not this big debate over the Sabbath. Jesus shuts it down. He disappears. He didn't want to turn this situation into something that it wasn't. Okay? He also didn't want to turn the situation into some type of frenzy of, of healings necessarily either. Okay? He just wanted to genuinely help that man. And so he wanted G Jesus wanted him to carry his mat as a sign and a celebration that the man is now whole, okay? But then Jesus comes back in. So you notice that in the scripture there. He comes back in and he says, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Ooh. Yeah. That's a tough one, isn't it? That's a tough one. Jesus was trying to help the man to understand that the eternal consequences of sin can be much more serious than the physical ailment. The man needed to have an even greater miracle to have his sins forgiven. The man was excited to be healed. That's good. 
but he needed to really turn from his sins, seek God's forgiveness to be spiritually healed. After all, God's forgiveness is the greatest gift, the greatest gift that you'll ever receive. So we should not neglect his gracious gift that's offered to us all freely. For when we accept the gift, we are made holy in God's sight. We're set free, freedom from sin. Not that we're perfect, no, but there's a freedom within us. And remember, too, healing is not just for you. If you've been healed some way, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, it's not just for you, but it's for holiness in you, okay? It's for holiness in you to point us to healing within our souls and we could be healed within our souls. Jesus warns that if the man turns away and he mocks the gift or makes an idol of his health or he embraces sin as just kind of this normal way of life, and that judgment is going to be much worse than just being uh, paralyzed for 38 years. It's going to be much worse. Jesus had healed the man to be holy so that he would rise to the resurrection of life. Jesus had pointed the man to himself as a life giver. And he heals in many more ways than just one. And lastly, Jesus addresses the Sabbath, but not for the sake of the Sabbath, but for the sake of his deity. Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. The Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal to God. Oh, boy. You see, the corner had been turned. Jesus was indicating a special relationship with God as his father. This is the key. The Jews didn't object to the idea of God being the father of all, but they strongly objected to him being connected in this father-son relationship. They're like, no way. It was, in essence, making Jesus equal with God. And Jesus goes on to say that in John chapter 10, verse 30. I and the father are one. Jesus wants us to know that more than anything, the story about the paralyzed man is much more than just a healing on the Sabbath. It's a demonstration of this. It's a demonstration of the equality of Jesus with God and the authority of Jesus as God. Equality and authority of Jesus as God. And because Jesus is God, he could choose to heal who he wants, when he wants, how he wants. It's mind-blowing to us, isn't it? Mind-blowing to the Jews, mind-blowing to us. For we cry out to God. I've cried out to God. We're like, God, please heal us. Please heal me. Please heal my friend. Please heal my family. Lord, why aren't you working? Why are you not healing? It hurts deeply, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems like Jesus is just silent or he's distant. We don't understand God's timetable on all that. I get that. Man, it hurts to the core. We think, doesn't God even care? He does care. I don't know all the reasons why he doesn't heal when we want him to heal. I don't know all those reasons. I know it can hurt. I also know that the good thing is Jesus always wants us to be healed spiritually. I do know that. He wants all of us to repent of our sins. He wants all of us to stand up, pick up our mats, and walk. 
In other words, being done with our old ways and starting a new way. The old is gone and the new has come, a new creation in Christ. So here, if you've maybe suffered with something for 38 years or 88 years, Jesus always wants to heal us spiritually. Always. And so we just truly have to stand up, take up our mat, and walk. Walk hand in hand with him, right? Walk hand in hand with him. And that's our life lesson today. Hold on to hope, guys. Our great healer is here. I know it can feel hopeless at times, especially if you're going through something for a long time. My heart breaks for for Todd and his family and everything with, with Carter. And I say, hold on to hope. Our great healer is here. And that's what we all will have to do, no matter what we're going through, is we can, we can hang on to Jesus through this, no matter how hard it gets, right? All right, let's pray.